Yeah, so I don't know whether you've ever asked the question, uh, what's God like? Um, don't know, I was really encouraged when we started with that song, um, I want to see you, Lord, because that's exactly what um, Moses asked in, in this chapter. It's always encouraging when you're going to speak if something's kind of relevant that comes up in the worship. Just, it just encourages you, makes you less nervous or whatever. So, um, but um, I don't know what your kind of, your natural thoughts about God are. You know, some people imagine that he's really strict, that he's got a bit of a, that he's looking out for him to do something wrong. He's waiting to pounce. You know, it's a bit like Punch and Judy, find you doing something wrong and dunk you on the head or something like that. Or other people, I suppose they, their view of God is that he's really a relaxed dude. He doesn't really care, he just kind of likes, he's very tolerant, doesn't, doesn't care what you, you know, he's just, he's relaxed, he's up there somewhere, he loves everybody, no matter what, doesn't really care. He's, uh, other people see him as cruel, uh, some people think he's frowning, some people think he's smiling, it's kind of what people think, all sorts of things. Most people, of course, uh, in the West, don't think about him very much at all, which is a sad thing. Uh, A.W. Tozer, who was a, a great writer, he said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's quite, it's quite a thought-provoking quote, I think. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That comes from, from a book, an old book now, called Knowledge of the Holy. And uh, so he, he and others go on to say that, um, actually, what you think about God is more important about your ethnicity, whether you come from Lebanon or Wales or Kenya or uh, Romania or if you're Hungarian, that actually what you think about God is more important than those things, more important than whether you're male or female, more important than your family budget, whether it's big or little, whether you've got a really good job or a bit of a rubbish job, whether you're very highly educated or whether you dropped out early from school and couldn't cope with it, much more important than all of those things. So why? Why is what you think about God so important? Well, you become like what you worship. It's a strange thing to... If you, if you think God is kind of easygoing, liberal and progressive, then you become like that. If you think God is kind of ultra-strict and basically mad at the world for ignoring him, um, then you tend to become a bit over-religious and mad at the world as, as well. Or, or maybe, it's, maybe it's more than that. I think that's true, but maybe it's that actually you tend to invent a God that's a bit like you. Do you know what I mean? You've got to think about God and it comes all from your own mind. So you end up with a God that's just like you. Strange, isn't it? <laughs> so if, if you're a bit strict, then, then you end up with a God that agrees with you and you're, you know, you've made him in your own image. Or if you're a bit, hey, lay back, who, who cares, we just love everybody, then you end up with a God that's a bit like, like that as well, which I think is a bit scary because if you reshape God to be a bit, if that's what we do, if we tend to reshape God to be a bit like us, isn't that more or less idolatry? I mean, other cultures get out a chisel and, and make gods, but we might be in danger of doing exactly the same thing in our heads, having a God that's just like us. And um, I've kind of been thinking about that. I think if, if my God always agrees with me, if he's a bit tame, I've, I've, maybe I need to take a fresh look at him, see what he's actually like. 
Um, I, I read something, um, that, uh, an interview with Chris Martin. Some of you will know who Chris Martin is. He's the lead singer in Coldplay, which for those who are a little bit older and now only listen to Radio 4, which I've got on in the car most of the time. But anyway, he's a pop band lead singer. Anyway, some of you will know. Most of you will know who he is. He said this. He said he was brought up in a Baptist church. I think his dad was a pastor. And he said he left church because, and I quote, he couldn't believe in a God who would limit sex to one man and a woman for life. Now, that's just an interesting quote from a fascinating creative guy. Couldn't believe in a God who would limit sex to one man and one woman for life. Now, it's not particularly surprising from a rock star that he's um, very interested in lots of sex, because I think you know, the rock stars have been around 50 or 60 years, loads of temptation. That's not a particularly a shock for those of us that have read a newspaper. That's not, it's not, it's not is it? It's kind of, what, what's interesting to me is that he, he, his thoughts about God determine who God is. Do you see, that's the shocking thing that, that because I think this about God, I couldn't believe anything about a God who thinks different to what I think. That's exactly what I've talked about. It's making God in our own image. And the shocking thing about God is he isn't who you want him to be. Why should he be? He's God. He doesn't, he doesn't have to conform to my image about him. In fact, from the very beginning, if you read the, the first, book, first three chapters of the Bible, you get a serpent whispering someone's ear saying, surely God's not like that. Surely he's not going to be like that. And so the, Bi the Bible starts with this basic fact. We don't know what God is like, but we can learn. We don't, we don't naturally know what God is like. Most people have got an inner sense of there must be something more that's built into us because we're made in, in the image of God, whatever that might mean. So there's that sense of there must be more than this. There must be something out there. But we don't know what God is like, but we can learn. And how we learn is by what's called revelation. The Greek word just means pulling back of the curtains. You don't, don't know, or you, you find a little bit more. You find, and my whole Christian life has been just about kind of finding out a little bit more about how big he is, how good he is, how kind he is, how gracious he is, uh, as God lifts back the curtain. And the Bible is a, is a whole story, a library full of people having God revealed to them, progressively, a bit by bit, a bit by bit. So we're going to read from Exodus 34. And uh, this is one such occasion where um, Moses climbs up the mountain. Exodus 34, verses 5 to 7. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with Moses and proclaimed his name, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation. And Moses bowed at once to the ground and worshipped. So that's a little story. There's a backstory to that because in the chapter before it, Exodus 33 verse 11, we read that, that Moses had a unique relationship with God. He would talk to him face to face, like you talk to a friend. That's an amazing, close friendship that, that Moses was granted with God. And a bit later in that chapter, in verse 18, Moses says this, he says, God, God, Lord, please show me your glory. 
It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? In the ancient Hebrew, God's glory meant his presence, his power, and the beauty of who he is. The real him. Show, show me what he was really saying was, show me what you're really like. Or in the words of that song, I want to, I want to see you. I want to know more about you. And God replies to him. And he says, actually, no one can see me face to face, which is interesting because it's just said that Moses was talking to God face to face, but no one can really see me face to face, see all that I am and live. It's a bit like those kind of Indiana Jones films, you know, where he sees inside the ark and his head, head blows off. He's kind of, he's a bit, he could, you couldn't stand it. Your human frame couldn't stand to see the, the fullness of God's majesty and power and might. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to bear it. But he says, what, what I'll do is I'll cause my goodness to pass by. Interesting. God says, show me, show me how glorious you are. And, and, and God says, hey, the best way to do that is to show you how good I am. Show me your goodness. It will pass by and I'll proclaim my name to you. And that's why we read those few verses. That's what, that's what God did to Moses. And it's one of the very few places in the Bible where God describes himself. Often other people get a glimpse of God and, and, and um, usually they go, holy, 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 and then fall flat on their faces, terrified when they see God. But this is God showing himself, God's self-disclosure statement. You know, if you're trying to get into a course, you often have to do a personal statement about what you're about. And you're kind of racking your brains thinking, I, I don't know, what am I about? <laughs> you're kind of trying to think of a few things to say that make you sound fascinating. Well, this is, this is God's self-disclosure. So this is what I'm like. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate, merciful, faithful, showing love to thousands and so on and so on. Including some shocking bits at the end that you probably noticed, which we'll deal with maybe in the future. Some, some scholars say this is the most quoted bit of the Bible in the Bible. It's, it's uh, David quotes it, Jeremiah quotes it, Nahum, Nehemiah, Jonah. They all quote, directly quote this passage. But also there are hundreds and hundreds of repeats of that phrase, compassionate and gracious, or loving and faithful. In the Psalms, it's translated as loving kindness in the, in the authorised version. I don't know what it is in the NIV. So, so scholars say it's, this, is, this is the kind of high point of Old Testament revelations. Interesting, when people write books of theology and start describing God, they usually start from he's all-powerful, all-knowing, uh, all-present, all-the-time, omnipresent. Uh, but that's not where God starts. Where God starts and he describes himself is he starts with a name. And that's about as far as we'll get this morning. He starts with a name and then he starts talking about what we would call his character, his goodness, as he, he puts it. Compassionate, gracious, slow to anchor. And that kind of makes sense. If you, if you said, most of you, um, not everybody here, but most of you know my wife, Debbie. If, if someone said to me, what's your wife like? I could stay, say, well, she's Welsh. <laughs> I could stay. That's informative up to a point. You might have a, your own impression of what that might mean. I could say she's five foot seven, she's got brown eyes. I could say that, but that doesn't really, that doesn't really tell you what she's like, does it? It just tells you a few facts about her. That's all true, but it's not what she's like. But if I said, well, she's kind, she's welcoming, she's hospitable, she's a people person, she's compassionate and discerning, She's really hardworking, very wise. That, that would give you more of, a, as she's all those things, but that would give you more of an impression about what she's 
actually like. And God's, that's what God's doing here. He's talking about his qualities, his character. And, and he starts with this, I've got a name. I've, I've got a name. You know, you get used to in life, don't you, some people kind of never, never calling you by name or kind of oi or whatever it is, or your title. But no, he's, God's got a name. He's got a personal name. And here it's translated, um, the Lord, the Lord. Um, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. But, but in Hebrew, it's Yahweh. It's actually a personal name. And, and in the Bible, your name is, is well, I mean, Nowadays, I've got to the age now where people name their children and you think, really? <laughs> Do you know, I don't know if you've got to that stage yet, but it's kind of, it's, it's funny, isn't it? And, and the parents, the names that the previous generation would never think about calling uh, their kids, the, ne the next generation start calling their kids that. And you think, really? I had a great uncle called that. And that, well, that's it's quite fun. But a name in the Bible is supposed to reveal your identity. I mean, nowadays, names don't necessarily do that, do they? I mean, in Starbucks, names just indicate when you're going to get your coffee at the end of the queue. Just write it on the, book, on the cup. But, but there, it was much more important, your name. So Abraham meant exalted father, and God changed it to Abraham, which means father of nations. It was about who he was, what his destiny was. Uh, Sarah, his wife, was re Sarai, was renamed Sarah, which means princess. How God viewed her, it was really important. Jacob meant heel grabber which means someone who cheats, someone who trips you up. And he was like that. And God renamed him Israel, which means he strives with God. Change, change of calling and everything. So when God says, I'll reveal my name, he's, he's saying, I'll show you what I'm really like. That's so important. What is he really like to you as an individual? What is he really like amongst us on a Sunday morning or, or as we go about our lives? Uh, up to this point, the... He's used other names. Abraham was told, I'm God Almighty, El Shaddai. Sounds cool, sounds better, doesn't it? El Shaddai sounds better. But it means, it means the most high, the, the all-powerful God. And that was because he, he lived in Ur. I think that's in Iran, I think, somewhere around there. And, and, and he lived in a culture with tons and tons of gods and idols. And, and so God came to him and said, listen, I'm the most high God. I'm, I'm the chief God, I'm the all-powerful God, follow me. That was his culture and he needed to know that because he was going to leave home and get travel not, not knowing where he was going. Uh, when he introduces himself to Moses in, in Exodus chapter something else, <laughs> I'm written it down, he says, I, I, I'm the God of your father Abraham. In other words, you know, you know Abraham's God, I'm that one. That's the one, that's me, I'm Abraham's God. And, and Moses says to him there uh, in Exodus 3, who, but who are you? Who do I, it's, all right, you're telling me you're Abraham's God. Who do I tell the rest of them? When I go and say, oh, I've met this burning bush and he says, we're going to escape. Who, who, what's your name? And God says, I am. Tell them I am has sent you. So, oh, thanks. <laughs> it could be translated always, or always. The God who is what he always is. He's cons or, or you could say consistent. What God is, he is all the time. Some of us are a bit shifting, aren't we? You know, we're good, but we're not good all the time. We're reliable until we have a bad day and then we're a bit unreliable. You know, but God, what God is, he is all the time. He's the great I am. If he's compassionate, which he says he is, he's compassionate all the time. I find that encouraging, don't you? 
If, he, if he's gracious, he's gracious all the time. If he's slow to anger, he's slow to anger all the time. You can rely on him. Other people don't always tell the truth. Other people sometimes let you down. We do that, sadly, for one another sometimes. But he never does. God is true to his character. And Yahweh is from the same root as I am. It's a bit, for those who like grammar, it's first person and third person. So God says, I am, and we say, you are. Do you see that? It's the same, isn't it? It's the same kind of uh, root. So God's introducing himself. Hey, my name is always. Always. I'm always there for you, and I'm always the same. And over the years, what happened was Israel was so scared of misusing the name of God, because God had said, don't misuse my name, they just stopped saying it. And they started, they used another name, Lord. Sir, big sir, big capital letter, sir. Adonai is, for those who are interested in that kind of thing. That's why, that's why Yahweh is often just translated as Lord in our Bible, but with capital letters. But it's actually Yahweh. And I'm, I'm labouring the point a little bit because, you know, having, having a name is really important. Because it's not a title. It's not like when we, when we pray, we're saying, um, uh, Dear President of the Universe... No, no, we're talking to a personal God. That's really important, isn't it? If I I always dress Debbie as the wife, yes, wifely, or if she called me Mr Thomas all the time, it would show a kind of lack of intimacy, a lack of closeness, wouldn't it? It's not not personal. To my kids, I'm I'm dad, that's kind of personal. To my grandchildren, it's bumper, because they couldn't say grandpa when they were little. But when I go to the doctors, I'm Mr. Thomas. That's formal, isn't it? That's a t- kind of title. I know Thomas is a name, but Mr. Thomas is just a kind of formal title. But, but to, when you want a relationship, you need to know a name. To my friends, I'm Richard or Rich. That's my actual name. There's intimacy in a name. So let me just earth this. I've got three things to earth it. The first is Christmas is coming up. The first is the incarnation. Sure, that's a bit of a jump. Well, it is and it isn't. I'm sure when we get to Christmas, somebody will read out John 1 verse 1. And the word, name for God, the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we've seen his glory full of grace and truth. John chapter 1 verse 4. What what we often don't realise is John is deliberately echoing Exodus 34. We've seen his glory. That's what Moses wanted. And his original readers would have known that. You've seen his glory. Only Moses has seen his glory. No, we've seen his glory. We've seen Yahweh on earth in human form. We've seen this God, Jehovah, the Lord Almighty, the one who is always the same. We've seen what he like. He came to earth. We've seen him face to face too. That's what John is saying. And Although this full of grace and truth doesn't look the same, that's because it's been translated from Hebrew to Greek to English, and it, things change a bit. But he's actually quoting Exodus 34. We, think, we tend to think, this is our natural thinking, well, that Old Testament God, he was a bit harsh, but thank goodness Jesus came, because he's a bit more mellow. <laughs> that's, the, that's the way we naturally tend to think. But no, 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 Jesus is the human, human manifestation, if you like, of the always God. He's full of compassion. He's full of mercy. Jesus is really good theology. I don't know when the last time you, you read the Gospels were, but have a read of the Gospels again. 
Jesus came to show us more fully what God was like. We've seen his glory. In Jesus, you see God face to face. So I just want to recommend having a read. If you've forgotten where your Bible is, it's propping open the spare room door or it's holding up your aspidestra, then get it out and have a look at Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Start with Luke, it's easy peasy. Start with Mark, that's really fast moving. Anyway, I'll leave that there. Jesus shows us what God is like, this God who says, I'm always the same. Interestingly, the New Testament says the same. Jesus, yesterday, today, forever, the same. That's incarnation. How about the next one? Intimacy. Jesus actually took that revelation further and said, hey, when you come to God, don't just call him always, call him Father. Call him, and, and that's an intimate word. It's not Peter, <laughs> Father. It's, it's my dearest dad. Some people would say daddy, other people cringe a bit with that, but it means my dearest dad. That's, that's what God is personal. He has a name. And why does he have a name? Because he wants relationship. He, he wants us to converse with him. He wants intimacy. God is not energy. He's not the, may the force be with you and all of that. It's not a force. God is not even a religion. I mean, we do teaching, but God's not a religion. He's not a set of doctrines. He's a person who wants to relate to you and me, wants to do life with us, wants to converse, wants to respond. That's why, that's why we talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus. He wants intimacy. I just want to encourage you. He, he wants to relate to you more than you want to relate to him. He really does. That's why he sent Jesus, so we could know him. He reveals himself to us. And, and the last so is incarnation, intimacy, and then intercession. Moses, in the, this passage goes on, we haven't got time to look at it today. Moses goes on and has an amazing conversation with God about what's going to happen to the Israelites. God's really mad with them. And, and, and even says in this conversation that God changed his mind. Ooh, dodgy ground. No, it does, it says that. God changed his mind. God wants, and, and that leads us on to intimacy and intercession. Prayer, talking with the Lord. Why? Because he's a person. Blaise Pascal, who's a French philosopher, said this, in prayer, we're invited to join God in directing the cause of his world. That's amazing, isn't it? In, God, in prayer, we're invited to join God in directing the cause of his world. It's a conversation. So God has a name, and praise God, he's utterly, utterly consistent. He's always the same. And we look at I can't wait to get onto compassionate and merciful and some of those things. We'll maybe look at those in future weeks. But God has a name. Jesus shows us what God's like and he invites us to call him Father. Came incarnate and he wants intimacy and invites us to intercede. So I'm going to...